0: Our Father in heaven, it is time for you to work, O Lord, for the world has made void your law. And Lord, this is an opportunity for your spirit to speak to us because we need to hear from thee. And I just pray that you would do something special and that you would help us to pass even by your grace from a spiritual death to spiritual life. I pray that you might give us what we need most through this message. And may you minister to our hearts and open our eyes and help us to behold wondrous things out of your word. For this is our prayer that we do ask in the worthy and mighty name of Jesus, let everyone say, amen. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles with me to the book of Psalms, the 103rd division. Psalm 103. And I want you to see something that I am very grateful for this passage of Scripture. I'm very, very thankful that God has put this in just for me. The Bible says in Psalm 103rd division, we're considering verse 8. When you get there, just let me know by saying amen. All right, Psalm 103, we're looking at verse 8. And let's hear what the Bible says it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Why? For he knoweth our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. God is not like man. And more people should say amen to that. I am very grateful that God is not like the common man and the common woman that you and I come in contact with every day. He remembers our frame. He understands our true condition. He sees our weaknesses and our challenges. More importantly, he sees his power that if the heart is surrendered to him, how much change could take place in our life. And I am telling you the truth, for all these years that I have traveled all over this planet, preaching the word of God, teaching the word of God, doing medical missionary work and all of these wonderful things, it is amazing how much time is spent in counseling. It's like there's more counseling that is done by ministers than there is the preaching and the teaching and even sometimes the quote-unquote healing work and dealing with disease and all the challenges. It's, it's, It's like a lot of people are going through a lot of problems. And it seems like the problems that we are facing day by day, you know, this is a very diverse congregation. Very diverse. Not only do we have men and women, But we also have several nationalities that are under this roof. And the one thing that I know we all have in common are problems. (laughs) Isn't that something? That's that's where we all have this. we, We found our commonality right there is if there's one thing that I know that we have in common is we all have problems, something in our lives that's causing challenge, causing friction and causing us to say, Lord, how do we get through this situation? And one of the things that I just love about God is that little statement that elder, soon to be elder, elder, (laughs) said in his prayer. He was quoting from one of my favorite books next to the Bible. My favorite book to read is the precious little book called Ministry of Healing. I mean, I've read that book cover to cover so many times, and it seems like every time I open it again, it's just brand new information. I read in the little book called Volume 9 of the Testimonies to the Church that it says the wisdom of the great physician is in the book, Ministry of Healing. That's why I love reading it so much. I want more and more of Jesus' wisdom. And it was in Ministry of Healing, page 363, that that was that prayer that Elder said. Then when he said the gospel is a wonderful simplifier of life's problems. The gospel is a wonderful simplifier of life's problems. But I'm telling you right now, this study we're getting ready to do today, it's like we're going to take it to the next level. We're going to really look at the word of God and find out, Lord, how can my problems be solved? Because like I said, if there's one thing I know, I don't have to guess on this. I know as long as you're human and if you've lived enough lives on this earth, I know we all have problems. And those problems need to be solved and the gospel is a wonderful simplifier of life's problems but i want to go ahead and i want to drop something on you that i just thought was very deep as i was studying this out and i said wow lord this is deep i remember when i used to be heavy in business i used to love doing business i was determined i'm going to be this big rich millionaire and i'm going to make all this money etc and i i mean i was like a sponge i would absorb Whatever I could learn from the wealthy and all these things and I remember that there was one gentleman And he was a motivational speaker been around for years And he said this statement that I always found to be very profound. His name was Brian Tracy And Brian Tracy made this statement where he said and and, and it was very very interesting to me when he said You Are the architect Of your own destiny this thing would stick in my mind. You are the architect of your own destiny. You are the master of your own faith. You are behind the steering wheel of your life. There are no limitations to what you can do, have, or be, except the limitations you place on yourself by your own thinking. So I read that, and you know, this is before I was really heavily into the church. And so as I joined the church and I would begin reading more and everything, I wondered, I said, is is this principle still true? So another book that I've enjoyed reading a lot was this book called Messages to Young People. And uh, when I was reading this book, Messages to Young People, it was a very interesting book, especially a statement that was made, because I still consider myself young. I'm not going to, you know, this Tuesday coming, I will be 50 years young. Are you following that? Some some people say I'm 50 years old. You, You can claim that if you'd like, but I'm 50 years young. And even still in my youth, there was one thing that I thought was very powerful as this was messages to young people, whether you are young in age or youthful in your experience. Here's what inspiration said, which I thought was very deep. There is much sterling in the adage Every man is the architect of his own fortune. While parents are responsible for the stamp of character as well as for the education and training of their sons and daughters, it is still true that our position and usefulness in the world depend to a great degree upon our own course of action. Very, very interesting. It seems like this idea of being the architects of our future are actually rooted in God's words of inspiration. I began to look a little further straight into the Bible. And the Bible began to almost mess with my head a little bit because, you know, here it is, I'm listening, I listened to this motivational speaker, and then here it is that I looked at this inspired quote, and then I thought to myself, does the Bible teach this? Because when I read the Bible, the Bible said something that appeared a bit different, right? So here's what the Bible said. The Bible says in Proverbs 16 in verse 9, it says, the heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. So I thought to myself, wow, so is this countering or contradicting what the motivational speaker and what this little book messages to young people just said? Because it seemed like messages to young people and it seemed like the quote from the motivational speaker was making it sound like we're kind of like in charge if you will that we we can determine how things are going to work out but here it is the bible is saying well the heart of man plans his ways you can make all the plans you want but god comes along and he says just remember it is me the lord that establishes your step. But then as I began to dig deeper into the Word of God, I realized something that was very, very powerful. As I looked at the Bible more carefully and prayerfully, I realized that the statement from the motivational speaker as well as the statement from messages to young people is also applicable when we look at the Bible. You see, God directs our steps, but it requires our cooperation. Is that right? And if we don't cooperate, then our steps will not go in the way that he wanted to direct. Is that correct? It is not a wonder that Jesus made a statement like this in Matthew 9, 29, when it says, Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. If you don't have faith, it won't be unto you. If you do have faith, then according to that faith and its measure, it shall be unto you. It goes on in the uh, next verse here, Mark nine twenty three. Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, how many things are possible? All things are possible to him that believes. So there are limitations that we can experience based on how much faith and belief we have, even though God has blessings upon blessings upon blessings to give to you and to give to me. And so the first lesson we want to keep in mind in our summary is that our choices largely determine the degree of success or failure we experience in life. It's our choices. Like I told you, I said I spend a lot of my time, and I know if there's any ministers, pastors in this room or anything like that, you know what I'm talking about. It's like even though we preach and even though we teach, we spend a lot of our time counseling, with individuals who have very serious problems and they want their problems solved. The gospel we are promised is the wonderful simplifier of life's problems, but we must act on what we read. We must act on what we hear. We must do something that Joshua told us to do. He said, choose this day whom you're gonna serve. We have to do what Moses told us to do. I present before you life and death, blessings and cursings, choose life we're going to do what elijah said when he says how long halt ye between two opinions if the lord be god follow him family you're in way more you have been given way more control over a lot of the dynamics in your lives that you feel you're battling with day by day than you realize God is like, look, I know how to solve your problem, but I need you to cooperate with me. I read a little book. There's this little book. It's called Early Writings. It's called Early Writings. And in this little book, Early Writings, it was right there on page 119 that it made a statement that just captivated my mind. It said, if pride and and family, you got to understand, I've talked with couples who have disagreement one with another, husbands and wives, and uh, that might be like, Year one. Year three, they're still having problems. Year five, they're still having problems. Year ten, they're still having problems. Not only are they having problems, they're having the same exact problem. And here it is. I remember this little book. I was reading it. Early Writings 119. And it said, if pride and selfishness are removed, five minutes will solve most difficulties. I'm like, oh, Lord. If pride and selfishness were removed, five minutes. Can you imagine a problem you've been fighting for 10 years? And God says, probably could have been solved in five minutes. That means that pride is very powerful, doesn't it? Go to Proverbs 13. Let's look at what the Bible says. You see, did you know that the Bible actually says something about pride that is, I mean, is just deep. I mean, I, I, knew, I always knew pride was powerful, but I didn't realize how foundational it was to many of the problems that we face, especially the fighting that we have one with another. Husband fighting with wife, wife with husband. Parents fighting with children, children with parents. Siblings fighting one with another. Brethren in the church fighting against each other. Why is all this fighting happening? Proverbs 13. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, we're considering the 13th chapter. When you get there, just let me know by saying amen. Proverbs 13, what does it say right there in verse 10? And in the King James, it starts with the word only. Now, when something is only, does it leave room for anything else? No, it doesn't, right? The Bible says only by pride comes contention or fighting. But with the well-advised is wisdom. Only by pride, so the foundation of every fight between people, somebody's being proud. And that's why, again, that little book, when it said, if pride and selfishness are removed, five minutes. That problem, that issue could be solved. God wants us to understand that he wants us to be happy, he wants us to be more joyful, and he wants that joy to remain. That's what Jesus said in John 15. He said, these things I command you, that my joy might remain in you, and your joy will be full. You ever met somebody whose joy was full? You know what they are, right? Joyful. (laughs) That's what God wants all of us to be, full of joy joyful children of God, walking around like we are children of the king, walking around like we are problem solvers. You see, when John the Revelator saw the angel, John says, and I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven. I'm quoting Revelation 14 and verse 6, if any of you wanted to take a note on that. John the Revelator said, and I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven having something. What did the angel have? the everlasting gospel stop what did elders say in that prayer that was quoted from that book ministry of healing it says the gospel is a wonderful simplifier of life's problems what did the angel have the everlasting gospel you know what that means what John the revelator was seeing was people moving all around the world swiftly as God's problem solvers. Can you imagine that? That's what the gospel is always supposed to be to us. You got financial problems? No problem. We can go to the gospel. We know how to solve that. You got marital problems? No problem. We can go to the gospel. We know how to solve that. It doesn't matter what the problem is. There's something contained in the gospel that if we understand it right for all of what it entails, God says it will solve your problems. It'll take the complex, it'll make it simple, and simple things are often easy to follow. It's people who make things complicated and hard. And that always is the issue. So God is saying, K-I-S-S, keep it simple, saints. That's what he's saying, keep it simple. Keep it simple. And everything starts right here. I reverently say this, But even God, with all of his power, cannot benefit you and I, independent of yours and my choices. Isn't that something? And that's why God implores us in scripture, choose, 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 choose. So the first thing we want to keep in mind is if you got some problems, which I know we all have, God says, I have the solution, but it's going to require you to choose me. It's going to require you to choose my way. And if there's one thing that I'm seeing in alarming numbers, like, seriously, alarming numbers, is how much lack of peace even people who go to church on a regular basis have. And that that bothers me. I'm just like, how do we worship the true and living God, have the present truth? How How do we have so much, and yet we still are perplexed? We are still anxious. We are still depressed and we are overcome with fear and panic. It's like, how does that happen? There's a disconnect, family. There's a disconnect. There's a lot of us that's going through a lot of mental drama. And back in the days, I kind of got it because you know, growing up, that was one of the reasons why I always had music playing, right? Because if there's one thing that hip hop music did for me is it helped drown out my sorrows. You understand that? It's like I'd put that music on, and it would take my mind to another world. Because for me, dancing was my outlet. It was like every time I turned the music on, closed my eyes, and I would just start dancing and moving. That was my outlet to get away from my reality. But like any song, sooner or later, it's over. Like any dancer, sooner or later, you're gonna get tired and you can't dance. And sooner or later, you're gonna have to sit down with yourself and you're gonna have to deal with the issues. And so I understand escaping. People get high. They smoke weed to get away. People get drunk so they can get away. We do all sorts of stuff to get away. But sooner or later, we're going to end up coming back to that same reality. And here goes God saying, are you ready to try me now? Choose me this day. So the first lesson we need to learn, our choices largely determine the degree of success or failure we experience in life, family. Nothing is going to change this fact. We need to embrace it. Now, not only do we have to make right choices, but it gets even deeper because it's not just about making right choices, but the part where I really want to spend the time of our message on is really dealing with timing. It's not enough to make right choices. But there's a word Jesus said even to a man who was about to betray him. And I believe the same words that Jesus said to a man that was about to betray him are the same words that Jesus says to the man or to the woman who was about to obey him. And those words were, what you're going to do, do it quick. That's what Jesus said to a man who was about to betray him. He said, what thou will do is go do it quickly. What you're going to do, do it quickly. Stop parlaying. What I've also realized in this issue that I'm seeing in life with a lot of the people that we're dealing with that affects us spiritually, it affects us emotionally, it affects us domestically, it affects us financially, it affects us academically, it affects us in every area of life is this thing which I've discovered to be truly wicked and I've never found even one verse of scripture where God endorses it. And that's this thing called procrastination. It's not enough... It's not enough that we have to make right choices, but family, you're going to see in this study, not only do you need to make right choices, beloved, you need to make it quick. You're going to see that there's a benefit, there's a blessing in moving quickly, and there's a curse in moving too slow. You see, we just read Psalm 103, and here's been my concern, this has been my concern. Back in the days, there was this guy who was really nice to me. He was a very nice man, very nice gentleman. And uh, he was like a teacher, like an instructor to me, right? Very nice guy. Now, I'm a worldly kid through and through, so, you know, as he's talking to us, you know, he's telling us different things like, okay, young men, you need to do this, you need to do that, and he's instructing us, and when we were acting up, he would come to us and just say, hey, guys, you know, let's, let's, let's try again, all right, let's try it again, and, and we would just... It was almost like we were just taking advantage of him, in all honesty, because he was such a nice guy. So every time we would go around him, all right guys, let's go, let's go, and, and we're just acting a fool. We're doing things crazy and jumping and moving all over the place. And then one day I remember, I'll never forget it, I remember that I was testing him and evidently I tested him too far. And I remember that smiling, gentle face, right? You know, because he, you know, he's a smiling, gentle face. You know, the guy just had like, you know, he's just a nice guy, happy smile and everything. And I remember one time that I did something and his smile went from a, and he said, Dwayne, come here. And I said, yes, sir. And he said, do not confuse my kindness for weakness. And I remember the way he said that to me. (laughs) That thing went through my body. I mean, like, it was just this brother, he, he had this ability to let you know, yes, when I play, I play. But when I'm serious, I'm dead serious. And he was like, do not confuse my kindness for weakness. And I remember that as he brought that point across to me, I was like, yes, sir. And from that point forward, I didn't mess with him anymore. I was like, Mm-mm, I'm not going to have you repeat that one. And what God wants us to understand is when he quotes in the Bible, he's plenteous in mercy. When God quotes in the Bible, he is long-suffering. When God quotes those things in the Bible, he was not giving it to us for the purpose of taking advantage of him. Did you know... Often we hear uh, young people, they, they want their freedom. Isn't that right? They say at a certain age, all right, mom and dad, you know, when I, was, when I was younger, I was under your yoke, but now that I'm of a certain age, I want my freedom, right? Did you know that God is the author of freedom? Whom the son sets free is free indeed. But did you know the context of freedom that God gives? Go to Galatians 5. Let me show you in galatians the fifth chapter i want to show you this did you know god did not give free god loves to make us free the truth you shall know the truth the truth is going to make you free god loves to make us free but i want you to watch this did you know in galatians chapter 5 god contextualizes freedom and i want you to see how he puts it in galatians we're looking at the fifth chapter when you get there please say amen all right in galatians 5 it was right there In verse 13, that here's what the Bible says. In Galatians 5 and verse 13, this is the context to the freedom that God gives to you and I. The Bible says in Galatians 5 and verse 13, it says, For brethren, you have been called unto what? What's another word for liberty? Freedom. God says you have been called unto liberty. You've been called unto freedom. But then he says only use not liberty or freedom for an occasion to the what for an occasion to the flesh but by love serve one another we are not given freedom so that we can just do what we want freedom is power and like any other power it needs to be controlled it needs to be controlled Anytime power is out of control, it results in chaos. And so here it is that God wants us to understand. Is he merciful? Of course. But he didn't give it to us for the purpose of just taking advantage of it and keep going on in life, acting as if there's never a time that mercy runs out and judgment begins. And what often is the trap that we fall into, beloved, where we find ourselves... In between this road with God and it's right there on this road called procrastination knowing the right thing we should do but for some reason we're ever so slow in getting it done so what we need to be praying is Lord teach me how I can see your mercy and appreciate it but also not delay in finding or becoming through your power what you want me to become This is going to be a science that we all need to understand and to master. Because family, too many of us are losing out on the blessings because we're so stuck in this world of procrastination. Sometimes we're moving a little too slow. Now, this is not just something that is in the religious world. Did you know science kind of looks some things up here? Look at this. There's a 2013 study that says this. This was a peer-reviewed study. And this is the actual uh, link for it right there. So if you want to take your phones out, take a picture, research it in your own private time, you can. But look at what it says. It says procrastination and the priority of short-term mood regulation. It says consequences for future self explains that choosing to voluntarily delay in spite of our better judgment reflects a basic breakdown in our self-regulation, and this breakdown occurs most often when we are faced with a task that is viewed as aversive, meaning boring. You ever, you, ever, you ever been tasked to do something? You know there's something you're supposed to do and you move super slow to it because when you do it, it's boring. You ever gone through that? Am I the only one that went through that? I know I'm not alone. <laughs> it goes on to say when it's boring or frustrating. When some, you see, when something's joyful, we're quick to run to it. But when it's frustrating, we're like, no, nah, I don't want to deal with that. It's like, oh, or, or we move. We're like, I'll get to it. But we're moving ever so slowly towards it. It goes on to say that lacking meaning and or structure, et cetera, we move slow to these things. God says what he needs his people to do is move from procrastination to developing a sense of urgency, this is what god is calling his people to and i have found i've been many places i've been all over this country and i've been to at least about 25 maybe 30 countries and uh in my interactions with people what i've seen out here since i've now been a resident of northern california i see To a degree, fairly religious people, people who are religious, uh, they they wear it on their bumper stickers, and you go to their houses, they got flags and stuff hanging out their house, signs. People are fairly unashamed to let you know, hey, I'm, I'm religious, I believe what I believe, but what I'm noticing out here is a lack of urgency. I'm just being honest with you, as a man who's lived in different coasts. It's like there's this lack of urgency, there's this real California sunshine comfort. (laughs) You know, it's just this comfort, you know, and and people are just kind of like, I'm good, I'm doing all right, you know? And there's this laxness, it's kind of like, don't you know, don't you know, don't you know? Yeah, I know, but you know, we'll get there. There's a lack of urgency. And the reason why this is so important to me is because since i moved here i found myself getting lax in certain areas that normally i was on it and i was just like where's this coming from like all of a sudden i found i'm serious i'm, I'm being very honest with him being very candid it's like i started to discover that things that normally i'm like really on top of it i found myself getting a little bit more loose and a little bit more laxed and i was like lord this stuff is contagious Seriously, it's contagious, and so what I've been doing is I've now practiced some greater urgency and some greater intentionality in my life, and I'm finding that it's blessing me. It's working with me. My hope is that it will bless you and work with you. We got to get to a place to realize the miasma that is all around us and get to a place to say, Lord, by your grace, I don't want this on me. Some of us are walking on Satan's enchanted ground. And if any of you have ever read that precious little book, Pilgrim's Progress, you will know what that story is about. The more you walk on that enchanted ground, it puts you in a sleeping state where you're not as alert and the life is not demonstrative of urgency. And so what it is that God wants us to understand is that we, as his people, not only do we need to make better choices, but we need to do it with greater urgency, obviously because we're living in trouble sometimes. The Bible, it's like we're watching prophecy get fulfilled fast and furious. And as we're seeing it happen, we are almost in a stupor, like, it's happening so fast, all you can do is just keep watching it, and sometimes you almost get what's called paralysis of analysis. You know, it's like you're analyzing it so much that you're paralyzed, and you don't make the next move that God is saying, make a move. And the Lord is trying to get across to our minds, hey, pay attention We're not living in the beginning of time, family. That's over. We are, as one preacher said, we are in the toenails of Daniel chapter 2. We are right towards that very end, and things are happening all around us, and this is the time that Satan would love to lull us right into sleeping in a carnal state of security. Carnal state of security. In other words, something that is useless and worthless. And so we have to be pleading with God, Lord, help me to wake up. Help me to pay attention. Help me to be mindful. You see, you remember when in Matthew 24, Jesus made this statement. Ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Has this not ever been relevant? You know, we, you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But guess what? No, 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 the end's not yet. It goes on to say, for nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines. And pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places but God says but remember all of these are the beginning of sorrows and when we hear of wars and rumors of wars I would like to recommend go beyond the news go beyond what people want to talk about you see news media wants to talk about Ukraine and Russia no problem with that. It's a real war, it's a problem, etc. Okay, that's fine. But I find it very interesting that this is not top news. When we look at this right here, how many of you know about the e- Ethiopia Tigray war? That thing has only been going on for about 16 months, and look at what happened. Look at what it says here. Did you know that as many as 500,000 people have died? 500,000 people have died from war and famine in the Tigray region of northern Ethiopia over the past how long? 16 months. Some of us are like, Tigray, how do you even pronounce that? In other words, we didn't even know anything about this. But this is a horrific war. And there's some pretty terrible results. But it's not getting media play. And that's why I'm saying when students of prophecy, the best news media that God could give to humanity, when we go through Bible prophecy, we're seeing a lot that's taking place in our world. And God wants us to pay attention to all of it, to realize the times in which we're in and what you're going to do, do it quickly, because just 16 months ago, there was half a million people alive that are not anymore. And God wants us to pay attention to these things. What does the Bible even say about urgency? The Bible says a lot about it. Consider this. In Romans 13, it says and that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. Do you hear the language of urgency in the verse? The language of urgency in the verse. In fact, when we know to do right, did you know what God told us to do when we know to do right? God said in Psalm 119th division, he said, I made haste, I hurried up, I acted with urgency and did not delay to keep your commandments. God's word speaks to urgency and God wants us to understand there's a gift and there's a blessing in urgency. Now, urgency should not be considered the same as being frantic. And God help us if we go towards the realm of fanatical. We don't want to find ourselves turning every little thing into an urgent situation, a prophetic situation. People have been asking me, what's up with with, with Russia and Ukraine? Is Is it in Bible prophecy? I'm like, well, yes and no. I mean, there's nothing major about it. But yes, does it speak to the fact that there are going to be wars and rumors of wars? Yes, it does. Does it go beyond that? Nope, not seeing it. I know what people are trying to do. I see what people are trying to connect and this is why a lot of people don't like to listen to us, because we sound like wolves, you know, the boy who cried wolf. You know, you keep making everything a major prophetic event, and then after a while it passes, and people are like, all right, I got you now, because the next time you come to me with your urgent message, I'm not even going to pay attention to you. I'm actually going to sleep better when you come to me. Because that, th- that's what happens. we got to be mindful that just because something happens in the world and just because the media focuses on that thing while ignoring a bunch of other stuff, that doesn't mean that prophecy is being fulfilled all the time. And the more we keep doing that is the more that people are going to look at us as alarmists. you got to carefully look at things and say, look, is this Bible prophecy? Is this a fulfilling of things or is it not? But here it is that today beloved god is making it clear god says look i want you to move quickly when you do see clearly my words when you do understand my words and do you know one of the biggest reasons why one of the biggest reasons why god wants us to move with a greater sense of urgency when he calls the callings upon yours in my life one of the most common sense reasons why beloved one of the most common sense reasons why family is because, number one, James says it like this. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. I got hit with this verse in a very real way last year. Last year, September, just a few months ago. It was like my family and i go on vacation and we're in georgia and a young man is there who we all know and who we all love he calls me uncle he looked to me for guidance and counsel when it came to the word of god and here it is that that young man My children got a chance to go spend some time with him. He opens up the door and he grabs them with all this love and they hug him back with all that love. And here it is that they're hanging out and spending all this time together and just rejoicing. The time eventually comes that the vacation is over and when that vacation is over we all jump back in our vehicle and we start to make our way back to California. Before or right, and I really mean it when I say this, right when we enter the door of coming back inside the house, I get a call from that young man's father, who I've known for over 30 years, and he's crying uncontrollably over the phone to report to me and my family that his son just dropped dead. Just like that. Completely unexpected. The physicians even said, we we, we can't fully explain it. He had a heart condition, but he was expected to live much longer. Way longer. And so when I read this verse, our lives are but a vapor, and we could vanish. Man, this verse sticks out to me now like never before. It sticks out most vividly to me. God wants us to understand. One of the reasons why I want my people to move with more urgency is you gotta stop acting like you're immortal. Immortality is a gift that God gives after Jesus comes. But immortality is not something we have right now. We can literally, in the most literal sense, be here today and gone tomorrow. That was supposed to motivate the thinking mind to say what I know to do. Let me do it now so that's one reason why god says hey what i want you to do is i want you that if you know to do it and if you're empowered to do it choose to do it one of the biggest problems that i believe we have with movies today movies spiritualism the supernatural it's so all over the map with our movies right so what ends up happening somehow that thing starts affecting us psychologically. And we start waiting for God to do the magic in our lives, like the magic we watch on a screen. And we think that one day God's just going to change our minds and all of a sudden we're going to love God and serve him and honor him and be surrendered. And sometimes we think that God is going to do some type of magic to get us to finally change and do better things and live better ways and so on and so forth. It doesn't work like that, beloved. It does not work like that. God wants us to understand, did you hear my voice? God says, do you know what I'm saying to you right now? God is like, did you hear what I just said? Well, then guess what? Today, if you heard my voice, don't harden your heart. Follow it. Choose to follow it because that's what makes us different from monkeys. That's what makes us different from the animal kingdom is we can choose to do things that's against our nature. A monkey cannot help but to be a monkey. A monkey's not going to be a donkey. A monkey's going to be a monkey. A parrot's going to be a parrot. They can't help it. It's in their nature. You and I, we got a lot of stuff going on in our nature. But God says, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might become partakers of the divine nature, of which, when you have it, you can escape the corruptions that are in the world through lust. You got more power right in front of your face than you realize. You are the architect of your future. You can change a lot of stuff going on in your life, but you got to hear the voice of God. And when you hear it, you got to choose the voice of God. And then when you choose it, you got to choose it quickly. This is real practical counsel that a whole lot of us need. But it continues it continues see it's not just that why else should we do it you know the bible says this and and, and listen i don't have any joy putting this up on the screen it's not a joy for me to put this up but it's in the word of god and it's in the word of god for a reason and god wants us to pay attention to it we're talking about why lord are you pressing this urgency with us why is it that i can't delay and kick back and procrastinate a little bit why is it that you're telling me to do it and do it now Because God says, listen, because this is also true. Outside of the fact that yours and my life are but a vapor, outside of that fact, the Bible also says, because I have called and you've refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But you have set at naught all my counsel and would none of my reproof. What does God say? I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear comes. When your fear comes as desolation and your destruction comes as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then shall they call upon me. But what does God say? I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge, and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel, they despised all my reproof. Therefore, shall they eat the fruit of their own way, and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely, and shall be quiet from fear. Of evil Proverbs 1 24 to 33 God says the reason why I want you to choose me You see the Bible presents a very interesting picture of people who are lost who made good choices did you hear what I just said the Bible presents pictures of people who are lost but they made good choices the problem was they made good choices too late a time will come where they're gonna say okay okay give us the word of the Lord isn't that a good choice That's a great choice. But what's the problem? They did it too late. Are you following that? So another reason why God says move with urgency is because we don't have as much time as we think. Sometimes we can get, you see, every day that you and I move forward in a decision, it's like we're settling ourselves or cementing ourselves in a certain path. And so the Lord says, listen, why make it so much harder for yourself by going in this direction, knowing that sooner or later you're going to have to turn and go back anyhow? God says, why don't you turn earlier? Why not make that decision? And so one of the reasons why God also tells us, I want my people to move with greater urgency is because sometimes we, if we're not careful, we can make the right decision just on the worst timing. It'll be heard by the angel, too late, too late. Examples of urgency. What are some examples in the Bible of urgency? Well, one of the examples that I like is this story right here. You know, we got some gentlemen that, you know, they, they, they faced a situation where they had to answer, and they had to answer quickly. Nebuchadnezzar said to the three Hebrew faithfuls, didn't I say that when that trumpet sounds and when the music plays that everybody bows down? Why didn't you do this? Don't you know that you're about to go into that fire? And as Nebuchadnezzar puts out that threat, the Bible says it like this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. We don't, we don't need to answer you on this, but we're gonna go ahead and answer you quickly. And I I mean, I I like, that's pretty bold. I mean, you're standing before the king of the whole entire world. And you're telling him, I don't need to answer you. But I'll tell you what, I'm going to answer you because I choose to. And here was their answer. They said, If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. If these brothers would have talked amongst each other, man, did you see what happened to that guy when he came and opened up the furnace? That brother dropped dead. That means that fire is hot. If they would have gone into rehearsing how hot the furnace is and how badly it's going to cause pain and suffering, if they would have even dared to gone down that route, we would not have this story of Daniel 3. What they had to do, they did it quickly. They did not parlay on, should we do it, shouldn't we do it. They knew what was right and they were prepared to lose even their lives if necessary to stand with the right or die doing the right this is an idea of acting with urgency when you know right don't sit back and think about it too long young lady calls you up and says hey come by my house you already know what's going to happen if you go to our house and the young lady's like no no, no come through we're just going to watch tv we're just going to talk yeah right satan is a master trapper it's like you got to make that decision quick you can't keep so so so, so what's going to happen when we go to the house Oh, we're just going to watch TV and talk. OK, what are we going to watch? Oh, we're just going to watch this and that and a little bit of the other. OK, anything else happening that? I'm not sure. Maybe we'll just see how the night treats us. It's like you're setting yourself up. Every time you hear that serpent whispering in your ear, it's like, what's happening? We're getting weaker. We're getting weaker. We're getting weaker. And before you know it, you're in your car and you're on your way to Proverbs chapter 7. One day you need to read Proverbs 7 about that woman and how she lures the men in. You know, we often like to make men look like dogs, but hey, sometimes sisters can be uh, ill-advised as well. Sometimes women can be misleading to men. It's it's a a two-side road. God wants us to understand that you don't parlay with the devil. Go to Zechariah 3. I always thought about this. Even with God, when God, you know... (laughs) Satan shows up, right? Go to Zechariah, the third chapter. When, when you look at this story here, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. Zechariah, we're considering chapter three. And you know, this story is a, a beautiful story, story of Joshua and, uh, you know, just what took place as it relates to the clothing and him being filthy garments, et cetera. But look at how the Bible puts it. I love this. In Zechariah, the third chapter, when you start at verse one, it says in Zechariah three, And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to do what? Resist him. It then says in verse two, and the Lord said unto Satan. So I want you to catch this in Zechariah three. Joshua is standing there. And then, of course, the angel of the Lord is there. Then, of course, Satan is there. Satan's mission is to make him look bad. Satan's mission is to do what he does. He's an accuser of the brethren. And so he's accusing Joshua. Don't you know he did this? Look at the record. I got the record right here. He committed this sin on Thursday. He committed this on Friday. And then he did this double on the Sabbath. It's like Satan is bringing up a most accurate list of his sins, his wrongdoing. But the one thing he's not bringing up is that Joshua has already surrendered his heart unto the Lord. Or rather, the man has surrendered his heart unto the Lord. He has confessed his sins. He recognizes he's a wretch and he doesn't plead his righteousness he pleads the merits of the only one who is worthy here it is that now in verse 2 it says and the lord said unto satan the lord rebuke thee o satan even the lord hath chosen jerusalem rebuke thee is not this a brand plucked out of the fire and from that moment you don't read anything further about God talking to Satan. God says what he has to say to him, and then he moves away. Do you know that that was given as a lesson for us? You see, when Satan comes in the form of that alluring man or alluring woman on that phone, why don't you come by my house and bring some comfort? That's our opportunity to say, the Lord rebuke thee. I'm not coming over there. Good night. And you hang up the phone, you get off the call, you move with urgency. The more you keep, so what's going to happen? Well, you know, you shouldn't do that. That's not a good thing to do. And you're trying to reason, they're like, keep talking to me. Because the more you keep talking, I'm going to talk you out of your position. There are some people that are so serpent-like, brothers and sisters, that they want you to keep talking because the more you keep talking, they're going to talk you out of your position and pull you on the opposite side. Sadly, the reason I know this to be true is because that was me. Sadly, in my B.C. era, brothers and sisters, I knew how to mess with somebody's head. And you can say all sorts of stuff to people that you can talk them into a lot of things that was absolutely ungodly. I thank God for conversion. I thank God for real change. we got to learn that when you hear the voice of Satan calling, don't keep playing with it. Move with a greater urgency and run from it. That's what we learned from these three Hebrew brothers. They're saying, look, I'm not going to take time to parlay on this. Here's my position. Here's where I stand. Like it or love it. If we could have more of that, you'd be amazed at how much less temptation would overtake us. That's currently taking us right now. Just move with a bit more urgency to what you already know is right. But it's not just here. You remember that when... Saul was stricken by God. And you remember that when Saul was stricken by God, that Saul made a, you know, he, 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 he got the call of God from that point forward. Saul, Saul, why, you know, why do you fight against me? You're kicking against the pricks, et cetera, et cetera. Do you know what Paul says about that conversion experience that I love? And I like an urgent word that's in the verse. Tell me if you see it. It says this. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him unto the heathen. Watch what it says next now. What's the next word after heathen? It says, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me but I went to Arabia and returned again unto Damascus Paul once he heard the call of God he did not go to his friends and say hey here's what God said to me what do you think he did not go to others hey here's what God said to me what do you think and I love it because it says immediately I confer not with flesh and blood and then he says I didn't even go to Jerusalem to them which were apostles Paul was so convinced that God spoke to him that he says, I don't need anybody else to convince me of this. I'm convinced and therefore I'm going to act on what I heard. Do you know how many of us? God has been making very clear the calling on many of your lives in this room. God has shown a whole lot of you in this room. This is what I raised you up to do. The same way that he raised up Paul to do his work, God raised you up to do a certain work. And sometimes we heard the voice of God. We watched through providence, we saw through examples in nature, we listened to inspired counselors, we listened to so many things, and God was talking to you. God was telling you. But What do we do? We hear the voice of God, and then we go ahead and say, hey, I mean, I've been getting these impressions lately. What do you think? what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? That precious little book, that wonderful autobiography of the life of Christ says in Desire of Ages 668, it says, as Christ lived the law in humanity, so we may do if we will take hold of the strong for strength. Watch this. It says, but we are not to place the responsibility of our duty upon others and wait for them to tell us what to do. It says we cannot depend for counsel upon humanity. The Lord will teach us our duty just as willingly as he will teach somebody else. If we come to him in faith, he will speak his mysteries to us personally. God will let you know what to do. And what's important is clearly hearing the voice of God. And when he speaks, move with urgency. Once he speaks, once you know, I know The voice of God has spoken, not based on impressions. Satan can mess with you on that. Don't just be impressed and say it's God. You need more than that. You need his word. You need to talk to people who are living in the book of experience and let them provide counsel for in the multitude of counsels, there is safety. There are different ways that God can speak to us, but once he has spoken, once you're clear. Don't go around looking for other people to say it's clear. God says it's clear. God says I already spoke. God says follow through on what I've told you to do. There are examples in scripture of God's people moving with urgency. But there are also examples of lack of urgency. And it shows the unfortunate results of it. When I think of an example of a lack of urgency, I cannot help but to think of the story of none other than our brother Lot and his family in Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot, the Bible says, did something that was very bad. He clearly heard the voice of God, but he did not move with urgency. And here's how the Bible puts it. And while he what? While he lingered, he heard clearly, get out. But he lingered. Not only did Lot linger, who did his lingering affect? Look at what it says. It says, and while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand, and upon the hand of who else? His wife, and upon the hand of who else? His two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him, and they brought him forth and set him without the city. Lot's lingering caused his wife to linger. And while he rebounded, his wife was lost. You know what I take that as? That's a lesson to me as a husband. When I hear the voice of God as the leader and priest of my home, it is imperative that if I do that, you see, God did something to the woman. You remember several months ago when we were doing studies on the family, I showed you how in the Bible, God told the woman, your desires are going to be after your husband. Women who are consecrated look to their husbands for leadership. You know what kind of woman was that? Yeah, because yeah, yeah. there's some other spirit going around with other women, and it does not demonstrate consecration. I'm the boss of me; I do my own thing. That's all right, but that's not. When thou art converted, you're gonna be a good wife. But a consecrated woman looks to her husband for leadership. And that man is supposed to lead in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And the Bible is very clear. So when she saw her husband hesitate, it affected her. And then she hesitated. He rebounds and gets saved, she doesn't, and she's lost. God says, Dwayne, be careful of the examples you set before your wife. Be careful of the examples you set before your children. Be careful. Because sometimes you could do something, and even if you're privileged to come out of it, maybe the people that we influenced will not come out of it. And that's not just a message for husbands and wives, that's a message to all of us who have some degree or another of influence with people. Be mindful of what God is saying to us. Now, Lot procrastinated, he did not move with urgency and it caused the life of a person to be lost forever. That's how serious it is. But it's not just this, because the other example are the amazing story of the 10 virgins. Five wise, five foolish. The foolish were procrastinators. They weren't hypocrites, but they put off what should have been done What was it that should have been done? You see, when you get a chance, you read on your own time, Matthew 25, 1 to 13. That's the whole story, right? But I'm going to highlight some verses out of that story. What was the major issue with the five foolish virgins? What was the major issue? It's right here. It says, they that were foolish took their lamps, but they did not take something with them. What is it that they didn't take with them? They did not take any oil. So that was, the, that was the problematic point of the whole story between the five wise and five foolish. The foolish virgins pretty much had everything the wise virgins had, but the only thing they were lacking was the most essential thing, and that was oil. They did not have oil. Now, what does oil represent in Scripture? The Bible is very clear on this in 1 Samuel 16 and verse 13. It says, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. The oil that fell upon David was representative of the Spirit of the Lord that came upon David. So the oil represents God's Holy Spirit. Now, from this, what is the chief work of God's Spirit upon a man or a woman? It is that they might bear fruit. And the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit, anybody who has the Holy Spirit, should be demonstrating love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Against such, there is no law. This is what we call character. That's character. Anybody who has the Spirit of God and demonstrates love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and and the rest, that is demonstrating a Christ-like character. So what was it that the people had? They had the Bible, the lamp. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. They knew the law of God, Proverbs 6.23, the law is a lamp and a light. They, They had all the right things, but they never allowed the Spirit of God to take possession of their hearts that they would become like God this was the great mistake of the five foolish virgins and so when the time finally comes and the midnight cry is given they're crying give us of your oil and they gave an appropriate response and the foolish said unto the wise give us of your oil for our lamps are gone out and so it will be with all of us all of our bible study life will go out All of our knowledge of the spirit of prophecy will go out. All of the things that we've done in the name of religiosity will go out if we don't let the word of God have a sanctifying effect on the life. This is why, brothers and sisters, some people come to church and they say, i got nothing. Some people come to church, they say, i got everything. It's all about attitude of how you come in. If you come in with a willing heart to say, Lord, I want this experience to be my own, and you do it with a genuine spirit, brothers and sisters, God's going to change your whole life. But if you come in negotiating with God, I mean, I'm going to let you get a little of this in my life, but not everything. Jesus says, whosoever comes after me and follows after me and does not forsake all of his sins, all of that which is wrong, all of that which is contrary to my ways, he cannot be my disciple. So coming to Christ is always going to be taking and also giving. And so it is that this is what happens with those who don't demonstrate urgency. Over time, our lamps go out. Whatever fire we had, it will be gone. And this is the reason why God says what you do, do quickly, because the devil is always trying to put your fire out. He's always trying to give you a reason to take it out. This is the context. This is the danger of Instagram. This is the danger of Facebook. This is the danger of all of the social media that's out there. It's not in and of itself evil, but it's designed to steal away our attention so much that by the time you open up the Bible, you're like, in the beginning, God. And you're out. And Satan just high-fives the demons. Mission accomplished, guys. Let's do it again tomorrow. Not realizing we're being set up We're being pimped and played by the enemy of souls, and he is not our friend. And Jesus is trying to appeal to yours in my heart, saying, listen, I want my people to move with a greater sense of urgency. What does God want us to do with urgency? Let's look at a few verses, Isaiah 55. What what does he want us to do with urgency as we close? In Isaiah 55, family, what are the things that God wants us to do with urgency? Isaiah 55. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah 55, we're considering verses 6 and 7. What does God want us to do with urgency? The Bible says in Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7, it says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found, call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. This is what God is saying. Seek the Lord now, while he may be found. Call upon him. But now, what does it say in Hebrews 4 and verse 7? You're going to notice outside in that parking lot, there's somebody who put that on their license plate. That's how much they want to let the light of God's truth touch the hearts of those around them. It actually has Hebrews 4 and verse 7. What does Hebrews 4 and verse 7 say? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, right there in verse 7, it says, Today. Notice that. Hebrews 4 verse 7. If you're there, say amen. Again, he limited a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Today, how about Acts 22 and verse 16? In Acts 22 and verse 16, what does God say to us here? What does he want us to do with urgency? Acts 22 and verse 16. The Bible says in Acts 22, right there in verse 16, it says, and I love this, It says, and now, why tarryest thou? Why delay? It says, arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. The Bible speaks to urgency. And so what are we learning? Seek his ways. Turn away from all known sin and decide to be baptized now. God says, make the decision now. Why delay it any further? Now, that's not for everybody. There are some people that know very little. I wouldn't recommend you get baptized. But Paul is speaking to a class of people that have heard, they have understood, and they know. They're just simply delaying because it's been the thing that they normally do. God says, listen, you're not promised tomorrow. Your life is a vapor. Time keeps progressing by, you keep moving further away from me, you know where this is gonna end up. God is not dumb and neither are most, uh, most of God's ministers. It's like, it's like you, you can watch a person's lifestyle and you can see this person's on the road to perdition, they're gonna go out. And then you're just waiting. And then sometimes it could be a year later, two years later, and next thing you know, that person, you know, I decided I don't believe in God anymore, I don't wanna to go to church anymore, I don't wanna this. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna start living this way. And it's like, yeah, we, okay, we saw that. We saw that coming. Many of God's ministers, truly connecting with the Lord, we see these things ahead of time. The prudent man foresees the evil that's coming, and then they hide themselves. And so God is saying, do it now. Don't delay. If you're hearing his voice, do it now. But there's something else that God says he wants us to do with urgency. John 4, 35, John 9, 1 through 4. Let's turn there. In John 4, in verse 35, what is it that God wants us to do with urgency. Bible says in John 4 and verse 35, and then in John 9, 1 through 4, the Bible says in John 4 and verse 35, it says, say not ye, there are yet four months, and then comes harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Don't keep saying one day the souls will be ready. God says, no, the souls are ready right now. There are people that are ready right now. Don't say later on. God says the souls are ready right now. Don't say later on. Now you begin winning souls. In John 9, Jesus puts it like this, and I like the language in John 9, 1 through 4. In John 9, verses 1 to 4, the Bible says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth, And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did this sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither had this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. And I love verse 4. I must work the works of him that sent me when? While it is day. For the night comes when no man will be able to work. There's a spiritual midnight that's coming. And when that spiritual midnight comes, brothers and sisters, it's going to be too late. And so God wants us to understand now is the time that if you can see, if you have a heart that is willing to respond to the voice of God, now is the time to share the gospel with others. Now! And the reason why is very simple. According to the prophetic pen, we are living in a time of judgment. According to the word of God, We are living in a very real, serious, and solemn time. Like any judgment, of which we constantly are watching them on the news, it seems, we are watching people get sentenced and having to deal with their fates. And God wants us to understand there's a tribunal that's going on right now. There's a judgment that's going on right now. And the Bible spells out that judgment in this language. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell upon the earth. To every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. It's here. And worship him that made heaven and earth, the sea, and the fountains of waters. We are living in a time of judgment. Of course the answer is to do it now. Why delay? Why procrastinate? There are areas in your lives that I want you to take note of and think about. What are areas in your lives that you need some more urgency? For some of us, family, it's finances. Some people, you know, we we think God cursed us with being broke, and that's not necessarily the case. It's just that maybe we got some pretty bad habits, we need to unlearn them, and we need to learn some new habits, but you need to do it now. Because one thing your landlord's not going to say is, I'll give you six months to think about it. One thing for sure is your car note, if you got a car note, they're not going to tell you, take your time. Work on getting your numbers together, then, you know, pay us. They're all going to say the same thing. Your problem is your problem, we want our money, and we want it now. They're gonna give you some urgency. So therefore, what's the best thing to do? If you know that your financial management is all family, learn how to take care of that now. If some of us, hey, academic, there's some of us in school, some of us getting ready for school, or whatever it may be, your study life, get more urgent about what you need to do, plan better. Tell your people, hey, I can't hang out tonight, I gotta study. You can't be so consumed with fun, fun, fun that you don't realize I got some goals I need to reach and I'm not gonna reach it hanging out with y'all. It's like, I need to go ahead and do this. I need to be about my business. And when we hang out, it'll be on a certain time, but it's limited because I'm focused. in what I need to do, I need to do it now because time is the one commodity that once you spend it, you'll never get it back. We are never going to see another March 19, 2022. In just a few hours, it's over and it'll never come back. So it is with how we manage our time. Then of course, relationships. Listen, you know, we, my daughter Jada said something. My daughter Jada said something. Anytime people say wise statements or profound statements, it sticks with me. When that young man died, She said she had no regrets. Because when he died, he knew how much she loved him. And he knew how much she loved him, and he loved her. So when he died, it was sad, but a comfort zone in her heart was that in her relationship with him, there was nothing to regret. Oh, I should have loved him more, I should have this... How many of us could say that about the relationships we have in our lives? What if today was the day? Just what if? What if if today was the day we realized mom, dad, brother, sister, son, daughter, whomever, husband, wife, what if today was the day that our lives became that vapor? I always told my children this, and I I would teach it in family worship. I would say, there are two things we're going to say at the close of one's life. I'm glad I did, or I wish I had. There's always this balls down to those two things when somebody dies, you're only going to have one of two testimonies. I'm glad I did or oh how I wish I had. God is saying some of us have broken relationships right now. And some of us know that we're in broken relationships. And some of us have heard earlier on in this message if pride and selfishness are removed, 5 minutes can solve the difficulty. I'd like to recommend beloved, let us do what we can. To let the pride beg Jesus, plead with him, Lord, take this pride out of my heart. Lord, help me to not be so self-centered. Help me to be others-centered. You plead with God and say, Lord, help me to do what I can to mend relationships now. Help me to do it now. Because our lives are but a vapor. And we can be here today and gone tomorrow. Do it now. How about health? Some of us know we're supposed to eat right, but we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of us know we're supposed to exercise. Some of us know we're supposed to follow the laws of health. Some of us know we're supposed to finally get that sleep that restores our bodies. We know. We know a lot. But boy, do we move slow. No urgency. Maybe this is another area we could be more urgent. What is it about your diet you need to change? What is it about your lifestyle that you need to change? Let God talk to you and then talk back to him and go to him and be more urgent about being the architect of your future. Of course, spiritual. Spiritual. So often, we leave this for last. So often, we leave this for last. We wait till our dying moments to try to get things right spiritually. This is the most important dynamic of yours in my life. If you know I'm not living right, You're living in sin, et cetera, et cetera. It's time, brothers and sisters. Don't, what are you waiting for? Let me get a few more joys. It's like, that'll never stop. You're always going to say, let's do it one more time. There's no such thing as, all right, I've sinned enough. I'm ready for righteousness. (laughs) I wish it worked like that. Sin is more attractive. Sin is more intriguing. Sin is more magnetic the more you do it. You're not going to keep doing it one day and then one day just get tired of it. It doesn't work like that. You're going to be like a sodomite. The sodomites kept looking for new sins. Let's try some other heathenistic practice we could do with people. That's how sin progresses in a man and woman's life. So you're never going to get tired of it. So once you know it, that's when we have to say, Lord, I need your help with this. And you run to Jesus and you let him bring about change that only he could bring. There's something God wants to move with urgency on. You see, he did die, but he rose again, didn't he? And the Bible says something very beautiful about God's state of urgency. Here's what God says in his word. And behold, I'm not just coming, but what does God say? I come quickly. And my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. You see, Jesus is waiting on us. It's not that we're waiting on him. He's waiting on us. He cannot let people unlike him in his house. He cannot have a Lucifer part two. He needs to make sure that whoever comes inside of his house, they need to be just like him. That's how his home remains safe. And so in all of what we studied, the sooner we allow him to work out his will and way in our lives, guess what he can do? He can come, but he's not going to come. He's going to come quickly. When the character of Christ is perfectly reproduced in his people, oh, then he's going to come to claim them as his own. Not a question about it. But we're the holdup. And God says, I can change that. And so whatever it is, the fire that God needs to create in your heart, God says, I'm ready to do it now, but I need cooperation. And what I need is for better choices, and I need for quicker choices, more urgent choices. Question, how many of us understood the study? You understood it? How many of us are willing to say, you know what, I have to admit, there are some things that God has been saying very clearly to my heart, very clearly. I'm not dealing with the abstract. I'm not dealing with the confusing. I'm talking about things that God has said clearly to your heart. Clear. No miscommunication. It's clear. I wonder if there's anybody in this room that says, God has been talking very clearly to me. And I have been procrastinating. I have not had a sense of urgency. And I am willing today to say urgency from this day forward will be a part of my life. If that's you, could you stand to your feet with me, please? I want to pray for you. I'm serious, family. You are the architect of your future. You can be the game changer. You can make a lot happen. But God says, I don't want you to just make good choices. I also want you to make choices with a greater sense of urgency. Family, take some time on this beloved, beautiful Sabbath day to get some time to commune with God in your heart and start really thinking, Lord, where is it that I'm I'm not urgent and, and, and I'm slacking and slothful and where I need to do better? You will be amazed at what he'll show you. And then you begin to work with the Lord on ways that you can work that thing out. I'm wondering if there's somebody in this room that says, you know what, now this is going to take a lot of boldness to do it, But it's beautiful when it's done. I will remind you that there's nobody in this room that has a heaven or hell to put you in. Your decisions are your own. So you don't worry about who's looking at you. But I'm wondering if there's anybody in this room that says, you know what? God has been telling me for a long time, you've learned, you've studied, and you know. You know. You know. You need to get baptized, you need to come to me and make a full commitment. A full commitment is going down to that watery grave, symbolic of you dying and coming of a brand new you. It's like you know it. And I'm just wondering if there's anybody in this room that says, you know, that's me. It doesn't matter if it's a baptism or a re-baptism. If you If you got baptized and all you did was get wet and it never really amounted to anything, you're the same old you. God says, no, it's appropriate to get rebaptized if you really have heard his voice and now you are prepared to make a true and complete total surrender of the life. It's appropriate. So I just want to know, is there even one person in this room? Because in a couple of weeks, we're going to be having a baptism here. And then I got the call this week that there's another one that is preparing for baptism. And the Lord is reaching hearts. And these are serious decisions to make, family. I mean, I'm not here to make light of it. But I'm just wondering if there's anybody here who says, you know what, I need to recommit or to commit my life with God. And this time I'm going all in. I'm just wondering if there's even one person in this room that says, yep, that's me. If that's so, would you slip your hand in the air? I just want you to go ahead and sit. seriously, I'm serious, fam. slip your hand in the air. If you want to come forward, we press together. Amen. And as we press together, let's come forward. I'll come down. And you're coming forward because you're making a decision to say, look, I need to do this. Because you know I've been living a double life. I know that I've been making bad decisions. I know that I've been going in all these wrong directions. And I'm at a place that I finally see it. I'm hearing the voice of God. And I need to respond to his voice now. That's why you're coming up. And as you come up, family, I just want you to know if you, if you could only imagine, Jesus is standing right next to you. Michael loves to stand up for and with his people. And so here it is that you are not alone. And I'm just wondering, is there anybody else who says, yep, God has been speaking to me for a long time. I've been resisting his voice. I have not been paying attention, but today I'm paying attention. If that's you, we want to give you a chance to come on forward as well. These precious souls are just an example of what God is still doing in hearts, even in as late a time in earth's history as 2022. Praise his name. And I want you to know, beloved, that as I stand here, and as we're all standing together, God is not through with you yet. There are some miracles that the Lord is ready to do in your life, and there are some dynamic changes that he's going to do, that his name may be honored and glorified. Let us all go ahead and let's have a word of prayer together, and I'm going to ask if we can, let us kneel, if we can, let us kneel together as we have this prayer of consecration and let the Lord do something special with our hearts. Our loving Father, I am very grateful for all things that have transpired today. You have spoken to us, Lord. You have made it very clear and very plain what it is that you desire to accomplish in our hearts. We have allowed the spirit of procrastination to take charge in our lives. And Lord, we suffered for it. And some of us are still suffering. But I am grateful for everyone being willing to take their stand and say from this day forward, they will move forward with a greater sense of urgency. Lord, I am especially grateful that there are some who realize that you've been talking to them. You've been telling them to get that restart or to surrender their lives for the first time. And today they are making a decision to go forward all the way with you, even into the watery grave of baptism. Father, we praise you for this. We ask, dear God, that what you have begun in their hearts, you will perform all the way until that perfect day when Jesus shall come. And Lord, I thank you for what you have accomplished today. May your name continue to be glorified, and may we be edified as we strengthen one another on this wonderful pilgrim's progress, ultimately, to really become Christians in our hearts and arrive safely in the arms of Jesus. Bless us to this end, we ask, for we ask it all in Jesus' name.